Welcome to the Permission Portal Podcast. I'm the voice, Julia Henning, entrepreneur, life coach, and retreat host. This portal was created to celebrate purpose, pleasure, and permission. Whether you want to uplevel your consciousness, expand your knowledge, or just listen to know you're not alone, I offer myself and this portal as the ultimate permission slip to be human, whatever that means. So take off the mask and slip into something authentic if you're ready to dive in. Welcome to the Permission Portal. What is up, Portal people? Welcome back to the Permission Portal podcast. I'm your host, Julia Henning. Guys, I think it's going to stick. I'm sorry. It's coming out so naturally. Portal people just kind of feels like the right thing. Oh my gosh. Do we have a name? Is there a name? Is there a we? I don't know. But it's happening. It's natural. So let's just go with it. Hey guys, how you doing? Welcome back to another episode. Uh, Before we dive deep into today's topic, which I'm pretty excited to share and talk about in full with no veil. Let's do a little good juju. So wherever you are with common sense and good judgment, stop what you're doing. Unless you're driving, please keep driving and keep your eyes on the road, but just be mindful. Wherever you are, I invite you to close your eyes. Again, unless you're driving, don't close your eyes if you're driving. But for everyone else, I invite you to just take a deep breath in through your nose and just let that go with ease. And on this next inhale, at the top of the breath, I want you to hold. And on that hold, I want you to think about your to-do list, your emails, your text messages, your DMs, the child that's crying in the other room, the boss that's nagging you, the things you think you have to get done today, And the stressors from yesterday, I want you to just think about everything. Ready? Take a deep breath in through your nose. And hold. Thinking about all your anxieties, stressors, anything that's weighing you down. And release through your mouth. And I want you to trust that all of those things are going to be waiting for you. But I want to commend you for taking a couple moments to just be mindful, a couple minutes to slow down, and this chunk of time where you are devoting to you, even if you're listening to me, this is for you. So take one more deep breath in, hold, and let go. And on a scale of one to 10, my loves, 10 being amazing I could take over the world and one being not so much. Where is your mood on a scale of one to 10 today? I'm coming in at about an eight today because I'm quite excited to dive deep into today's topic, which has been something I've talked about in season one and something that if you know me or follow me has been sort of threaded and woven into the curriculum of my life, of my being and my work as a coach, as a retreat leader and as a educator of some sort. I often resort back to this concept, this philosophy, this way of living, and 
If you don't know what it is, my darlings, today we are talking about Shedonism. Shedonism. But we're not talking about Shedonism necessarily the way that I did before. If I'm correct, before I sort of touched on the concept, the philosophy, the way of Shedonism, simply to kind of let you know where I was coming from, to kind of speak to this thing that I had put out publicly. But I wasn't really talking about it, mostly because... There was a veil, there was a filter, and we're taking that off today. Ready? Here we go. So last, about two years ago now, wow, that's crazy, two years ago, but really like in the bulk of 2022, I had developed a philosophy that wasn't necessarily profoundly organic, and it wasn't necessarily super original, but it had some resonance of originality to me that felt like it needed to be birthed into the world. The actual term shedonism, it's shedonism. The first time I ever heard that word, if I'm being completely honest, was in reference to this fabulous, larger than life, lesbian event that I knew was held, I think in Vegas a couple years ago, though I'm pretty sure like the collective name relates to events that happen all the time. Shedonism is essentially like a night of like female, female identifying, like feminist, feminism, divine female, like pleasure party. It just had this like vibe to it. It had this branding to it. And as I was essentially Finding the word for this way of living and this way of being that I was so tapped into, that I am so tapped into. But the name stood out. And I remember just asking myself, like, is this the name? Is this what I'm supposed to capture? And my soul lit up and said, yes. And I always take a yes as a yes. So I knew that there was something about it that I needed to investigate. I looked it up. I saw who was using the name, how it was being used. And I thought, you know what? There's space for me to jump on board with this label, this title. So when I was essentially figuring out how to describe my coaching style, my life coaching style in the beginning, I was seeking a philosophy because when I was getting my master's in psychology, you basically had to write a dissertation on what theoretical orientation you would use. And looking back on what mine was makes so much sense as to what I'm doing now. Mine was existentialist, humanistic, and postmodern theory. And this is basically as holistic as you can get as a psychologist. So when I moved into the world of coaching, I sort of wondered if those theoretical orientations would carry over. And in a lot of ways, they have. I mean, my coaching style is very humanistic. It's very about the person, obviously. It's very existential, which is kind of the special flavor. And it's postmodern, which is essentially kind of like new wave is the best way to kind of understand that. It's sort of holistic, more um, original ways of counseling that aren't necessarily the classical like psychoanalytic or cognitive behavioral. So when I was applying these to coaching, I found that they worked, but then I also realized that there was sort of a gap in what my belief system was in regards to how and what I was coaching. And I was looking at what was coming forward for me in life at the time. Again, like I said, this was about a year, two years ago now, and it was just a deep radical permission. And this is where I do use radical because 
this was around the time when I was making really big life changes, making really big relationship shifts. I was just doing a lot of things I had never done before. So there was a lot of permission in the way of living. But there was also a lot of pleasure. And I looked at my life as a whole and I sort of had to mine out all of these moments in life that had stuck with me that really encapsulated my life experience. And I remember somebody, one of my best friends, shout out to Brendan, saying to somebody when we were in college, Julia really likes to experience people. And if I'm being honest, this was most likely a warning to the person who was interested in possibly dating me at the time to maybe not get so invested because I was somebody who always, and in a lot of ways still am, but we've evolved. We have maturity. We like to be grounded and anchored in our pursuits. But I was somebody who really pursued pleasure. The pursuit of happiness was one that I was really encouraged, supported, and really privileged to get to explore and experiment with over my life. And so pleasure became one of my core values. It's not necessarily that I was, you know, indulging in a sense, which we're going to get to, but in a lot of ways more than I think most people in kind of modern society, I was really dipping a toe in the pleasure pool. So as a self-proclaimed former hedonist, I craved a belief system that would honor my primal and my divine impulses. I wanted a philosophy that offered me permission to be all that I am. And when I really sat with the term shedonism, I realized shedonism is pretty synonymous with permission and permission is my philosophy. So shedonism is a philosophy of permission, which is essentially just a philosophy of acceptance. Did I lose you? Permission, shedonism, acceptance. Pretty simple. Shedonism, when I sat with it longer, I really mined out its essence. I really discovered and explored its identity. I didn't just want to slap this label on, you know, the hedonistic lifestyle or pursuits because I realized that it was so much deeper than that. So when I really became familiar and I educated myself so deeply on the philosophy, the history, the psychology of hedonism, I took what I learned and sort of reclaimed pleasure in a way that would feel digestible, approachable, and a little bit more ethical. So hedonism destigmatizes personal fulfillment and pleasure seeking. It's a reclamation of feeling good for the highest good of all. And it exists for everyone. It's rooted in ideals of divine feminine compassion. And so you're probably listening being like, wow, that sounds really nice. Like what? I'm going to give you kind of the breakdown and then we're going to go further. So hedonism as a whole doesn't exclude or polarize. It is not the absence of pain. It's the alchemy of community altruism, value, accountability, and acceptance. I mean, it's giving pleasure minus the historically criticized indulgence and shame. It's a reminder and a remembrance of aliveness and self. And it's the wake up call for those who are sleeping on the lives that they get to live. So I always say, Shedonism isn't 
what I coach, it's how I coach. It's a philosophy crafted in the pursuit of pleasure and purpose. It questions, deconstructs, reprograms, and celebrates humans' innate right to feel good. And who doesn't want to feel good? It's why we do all things. It's a reminder of being alive. So you can tell that I'm quite passionate about it because Shedonism is an empowered community. I mean, it's an empowered concept in and of itself. It explores the self beyond limits without guilt or shame. And it's an invitation to claim conscious fulfillment. I mean, who wouldn't want that? It is the portal of permission. And I like to believe that Shedonism celebrates pleasure as an activation. It's an initiation. It's an awakening. There isn't one way to define pleasure. It's a spectrum of experiences that lead us to have something to believe in. Ooh, honey, hashtag Shedonism. Hashtag I claim my pleasure. Anyone can be a Shedonist. Anybody can be a Shedonist. It kind of just feels a little bit more inclusive, a little bit more approachable, a little bit more real. Shedonism is the term that in this relation I coined to represent a form of hedonism that's focused on shedding the layers of guilt and shame and societal expectations that often prevent us from enjoying life's simple pleasures. So it's about giving ourselves permission to embrace pleasure in all forms. We got it? I mean, seriously, whether it's enjoying a delicious meal or taking a leisurely walk or even exploring one's sensuality, it's about being present in the moment and experiencing joy without judgment. I mean, guys, in today's fast-paced and achievement-oriented society, we often forget about the importance of being in the moment and savoring the joys of life. I know that when I said that, a lot of you just had a gut check. So guilt and shame can hold us back from truly experiencing pleasure. And that can have a significant impact on our mental and emotional well-being. So what I like to think of Shedonism as, it's a path to reconnect with ourselves and rediscover those pleasures that make life beautiful that we often leave behind. But like, we have to kind of sort of examine aspects of the history of pleasure for us, I think, to understand what pleasure means now. Am I right? Okay, well, let's just do it anyway. So Traditional hedonism, which is often associated with the pursuit of sensory pleasures and indulgence without limits, can sometimes lead to excess and imbalance in somebody's life. When we think of hedonism, the philosophy is literally that pleasure and fulfillment exist above all else. I mean, if we look at the history of hedonism going all the way back to ancient Greece, it's the school of thought focused on immediate and a sensory pleasure as the ultimate good, which emphasized living in the moment and indulging in physical pleasure. But then you have a more moderate approach back in ancient Greece that basically sought to maximize pleasure by minimizing pain and teaching that intellectual pleasures and tranquility of the mind were the highest forms of pleasure. But then we go to the Roman Empire, and this is essentially when Hedonism gained popularity in the upper class. This is like the pursuit of luxury, leisure, sensual pleasures becoming more prominent. But this was essentially criticized and challenged by stoicism, which was that we don't need 
we don't need, essentially. Then you go to like Christian and Islamic influences, basically saying that hedonism faced significant opposition because these religions stress self-discipline and the avoidance of worldly pleasures. It was seen as sinful and immoral. But then we get into the Enlightenment era, which basically saw a resurgence of hedonistic ideas that basically sought to maximize happiness for the greatest number of people. And they believed that moral actions were those that led to the greatest pleasure and the least pain. Then we get to contemporary hedonism. And this is where it's taken on various forms. There's ethical hedonism, which argues that people should seek their own pleasure, but not at the expense of others. And there's psychological hedonism that suggests that all human actions are ultimately motivated by the pursuit of pleasure or the avoidance of pain. So you then kind of get into the postmodern of it all, where... I mean, there's complexities of pleasure and happiness and the role of technology and consumerism in shaping our pursuit of pleasure. It's essentially a fundamental idea that seeking pleasure as a central value in life, it has nuances. It's not something that one person can essentially say is good or is bad, but essentially it's important to remember that happiness is a personal journey and not everyone's going to understand or support your choices. For me, the more that I embraced, also, side note, did we just love that I just like literally gave you guys a brief history of hedonism? Hopefully it made sense and we're following along, but we're up to the modern moment, okay? So when I found that pleasure existed in the mundane, magical moments of my daily life, as well as these profound, unexpected moments that brought me a sense of fulfillment, peace, and purpose, I realized it's not all about like sex, drugs, and rock and roll. Not that that really ever was, you know, my version of pleasure to begin with. Well, here and there. More like dubstep, but it was a different time. However, the more I embraced hedonism, the more I radiated this sense of permission and pleasure, and I was noticing that it was inspiring other people to do the same. People who had different values than me, people in different communities. But I realized that my choices had the ability to inspire other people. And that it was bringing this version of joy and self compassion and permission into the world around me. And it wasn't unhinged. It wasn't unresourced. It wasn't the shadow side of the archetype of pleasure. It was the evolved side because it wasn't about self-indulgence. It was about self-care and love. It was about giving myself permission to be human, to enjoy life and to find happiness in the present moment, embracing my authentic self and living life to the damn fullest. Hello, who the heck wouldn't want a piece of that? Reclaiming pleasure through Shedonism led me to a profound sense of ease because it reconnected me with the present moment. And when I gave myself permission to experience joy and pleasure without guilt or shame, it reduced stress, anxiety, and pressures of our modern lives. So this is what I'm offering. Shedonism allowed me to slow down, savor simple moments, and experience life more fully. And this ease caused a ripple effect, positively impacting my overall well-being and my relationships with others, which essentially affected my business and all the projects and collaborations that I entered into from that point. So I want to talk a little bit about how psychology plays a role in all of this, because pleasure from a psychological standpoint does play a vital role in our overall mental health and happiness. I mean, think about it. When you're talking to your therapist, 
They're essentially helping you out of crisis, out of problems, out of issues to find joy again, to find happiness again. If you're working with a coach, you are overcoming an obstacle. You are overcoming a burden. You are overcoming a block to find fulfillment. We're constantly in the pursuit of feeling good. Guys, pleasure is just a word that has been condemned to have all these connotations of negativity, but reclaim the word and reclaim how it affects your life. From psychology, it connects to several key concepts, positive emotions. So experiencing pleasure, whether through enjoying a meal, engaging in creative activities, connecting with a loved one, these trigger positive emotions. These emotions counteract the effects of stress, anxiety, and depression. Next, mindfulness. Engaging in pleasurable activities often requires you to be present in the moment. What does this do? It reduces rumination, the excessive focus on negative thoughts, and it leads to a more balanced and peaceful state of mind. What else? Resilience. Pleasure acts as a buffer against life challenges. So when we regularly indulge in joy and relaxation, we build emotional resilience, making it easier to cope with adversity. Hello? Resilience, mindfulness, positive emotions. How about social connection? Pleasurable experiences are often best when shared with others. Unless you're me and you like to be isolated and alone all the time, which I'm not alone all the time, but I will choose isolation usually over everything else. I know I'm weird. Quality time is not a love language of mine, but I'm working on it. So building social connections through shared joy and positive interactions is essential for our well-being because we are community animals. Unless you're a lone wolf. I'm just kidding. That's so weird that I just did that. Um, Again, this is what happens when you talk alone in a room. But social connection This essentially allows us to be mirrors to each other in order to understand this little thing called life and the human condition. When we are enjoying things with others, we are building trust, we are building faith, and we are building an emotional impact that allows us to identify when something is a threat and when something is safe and secure. Last but not least, motivation and creativity. Not only does it boost motivation and creativity, but when we are motivated and creative, engaged in things that we enjoy, we are more likely to be productive, inspired, and innovative. So breaking that down even more, and I just want to know, I'm not attempting to sell you on Shedonism. I'm merely trying to explain what runs through my head when I make a decision and what runs through my heart when I make a choice, and what I offer when someone comes to me. The ways that I've incorporated this understanding into my journey has been through mindful pleasure, which has basically just been engaging in things that I like doing intentionally and mindfully, savoring every moment, mindful pleasure. Even on things I don't really want to do or things that don't feel good, I try to look at this in a way that how can I make this intentional? How can I find the joy and the pleasure in this experience that I don't find to be pleasurable? Next would be an emotional check-in. Are you regularly checking in with your emotions and seeing how your mood and your mindset is affected? Hello, good juju exists for this reason, y'all. You're welcome. Social connection, I mean, this one 
In terms of how this is incorporated into my understanding of Shedonism, it's being around open-hearted people more so necessarily than like-minded people. Although it's really fun and it can be really safe to be around people who maybe think the same or like all the same things that you do, I found this to be a huge motor behind my finding more open-hearted individuals to spend my time with and more open-hearted individuals to work with. I find that if somebody is close-hearted, they're also most likely close-minded. So if I'm going to be like-minded, great, we'll have something to talk about. But if we're going to be open-hearted, then we have something to learn. Balanced lifestyle is another way that this has been incorporated. Basically just where well-being and pleasure are given where pleasure and well-being are given equal weight alongside productivity and achievement. I do things in order to accomplish them and to fulfill a task or fulfill a need, but then I check in with the need of my well-being. Okay, how much energy did this take? If I have $100 of energy at the beginning of every day and $20 goes into work and $20 goes into a project, okay, I now have $60 left. So if I need to do $10 worth of house chores and $10 worth of errands and mundane tasks, I now have, I have to do the mental math. What is left? 20, 40, 60. (laughs) I only have $20 left. Guys, we don't do math that often. Give me a break. So if I only have $20 left, that's not a lot for me feeling really taken care of in the day. I have $20 to make sure that I have nourished myself, hydrated, gotten time outside and fresh air, spent time talking to loved ones, done something that feels exciting, creative, and innovative, and just doing something that feels good. So if I'm going to give $50 of my energy time and energy space to my achievements, I'm going to give $50 to my well-being. That is Shedonism. So those are just some practical, if you will, suggestions of how to incorporate Shedonism into your life. Mindful pleasure, emotional check-ins, social connections, balanced lifestyle, and self-reflection. And these are going to affect your positive emotions, your mindfulness, your resilience, your social connections, your motivation, and creativity. Whoo! Are you with me? That, my darling, was truly the lecture part of our episode. Now I'm going to deep dive a little bit onto how Shedonism is showing up for me. So Shedonism was originally meant to be the name of this podcast. I talk about that in season one because at the time, Shedonism was essentially the philosophy that was fueling everything. I was relating everything back to this concept and it felt like everything I was doing, everything I believed in, everything that I put my name on had to do with Shedonism until one day, Right before the podcast came out, I was on the phone with my dear friend Celia, shout out, and we came up with the notion that this is a portal of permission. Shedonism is a portal of permission. And I had a moment, and she looked at me, and I had a moment, and Celia and I just sort of had this mutual brain explosion that was, you know, Shedonism, despite it being the philosophy isn't quite the container. And the container being, where do all of these shedonistic experiences and shedonistic concepts and shedonistic 
relationships live? Well, they live in a portal. And that portal is one of permission. So this is a permission portal. Ah, We've arrived at the podcast. And we've arrived at my entire brand and company. My company literally became the permission portal. And I found that permission ended up being a sort of more universal and stronger proponent, uh, ambassador, and mask of pleasure. Permission was something that I could speak to in a way that was a little bit more digestible and readily available. Pleasure still felt a little too indulgent, especially for the people that I was working with and coaching. There seemed to be a disconnect between the pleasure people felt they deserved and the pleasure that they were granting themselves. So we had to bridge that gap with permission. And permission became the bridge in which I helped people walk over so that they could land and arrive at pleasure. So the work that I do as a coach is essentially rooted in two central systems. One is my education and coaching and essentially, if you will, the orientation in which all things are done. And that is awareness, acceptance, and aligned action. When we are aware of how we feel and what we think and what's going on in our body and what we're doing and what might be driving these things, then we can accept these things. We can see what is true about them and what is false. Then we can behave, make choices, and act in the world accordingly. That, my dear, is the basis of coaching. I help you figure out where that's getting cloudy and we get clear as well as do some fun stuff along the way so that you can actually see these things in action. So the hedonistic formula is a little bit different than the orientation of coaching. Self-awareness, sense-driven, and soul-centered. So really quick, the differences in these two orientations, awareness, acceptance, and aligned action, have a lot to do with a container. They have a lot to do with a person's journey and what they want and what they're moving towards. It's sort of goal-oriented in a lot of ways. The Sheetanist formula is a little bit more interpersonal and relates to just how you live on a daily basis. The two are very closely related and I utilize both. So what I coach is awareness, acceptance, and aligned action. This is the collaboration between coach or counselor and client or loved one. How I coach is the Sheetanist formula. This is the pleasure formula. This is the permission formula. This is the ultimate permission slip. So when you do anything from these three places of being self-aware, sense-driven, and soul-centered, you are essentially breaking it down into what you think about something, how you feel about something, and why it matters. So when you're coming from a self-aware place, there is... A sense of being accountable to the five core aspects of your being, and that is somatic, which is your physical body, emotional, your feelings, your mood, your mental, which is your thoughts, your behavior, which is what you're doing, your actions, and the unconscious, which is what is driving everything, what is underneath all of the things that you're doing. If you're in awareness of those things pretty much at all times or 
to the best of your ability, I mean, we're not perfect, then you are radiating and living from a place of self-awareness and you are accountable. That I think is the biggest thing is being accountable for the way in which you move in the world. Self-awareness is a lot of what you think about something. And that's more so being able to speak about yourself and as yourself from yourself in a way that allows someone else to understand your experience because you are self-aware of it in the first place. Does that make sense? To be aware versus being self-aware, I think is just people can kind of sense when the vibe is off. But if you know why your vibe is off and how it affects you on all levels, that to me is self-awareness. And I operate from a place of self-awareness, which allows me to be accountable as much as I possibly can. So when I'm working with somebody or I'm talking about Shedonism, I really implore the person that I'm speaking to, to dig deeper into their experience, to understand what it is they are feeling, thinking, experiencing, going through, sensing or perceiving so that they can become aware of it, claim it. And then from that place, do things that are sense-driven. To be sense-driven kind of is where the pleasure comes into all of this. This is where we do things or we operate so that things can feel good. How does something taste? How does something sound? How does it look? How does it feel? What do I get from this? If I'm sense-driven, I'm using my senses to basically dictate my experience. If something feels off, it's off. If something doesn't feel good, why would I stay in that experience? If I am uncomfortable, unsafe, or just merely perturbed, I'm not going to stick around to figure out and discover what that is. I'm going to use my self-awareness to see that I'm uncomfortable and use my senses to drive me into something better, which then leads us to why it matters. Why do you do anything? It has to come from a soul-centered place. To be self-centered isn't necessarily a bad thing if you break down the concept of those words. We are always instructed from a young age to put our oxygen masks on first. Help yourself before you can help others. Fill your cup before you overload and get empty. Couldn't remember the colloquialism. Also, that's a hard word to say. However, when you're conditioned to believe that you're supposed to look out for yourself pretty much first... That concept can become twisted and toxic, which turns into self-absorption. This is when people uh, become selfish. This is when we do things without thinking of the collective, the higher good. We do things because we're not sense-driven. We're ego-driven. We're fear-driven. And we're doing things because we're not self-aware. We're self-protectant. We're self-indulgent. This is kind of where the hedonism kind of kicks in. So if Shedonism were to interfere, and this is the divine intervention of feminine compassion, if we were to do things from a soul-centered place, then we are essentially taking everything we know about ourselves, everything we have about our human self, which is our senses, combining those things and doing something that feels good that also has the potential to do good in our surroundings. If it's good for me, it's most likely going to be good for everyone else because it's going to positively affect me, having the ripple effect on my environment. 
So when you operate from a soul-centered place, you are taking what you know about yourself. You're taking what you know about your reality and your experiences. So this is everything that's going on in you, self-awareness. This is everything that's going on in your reality, your senses. Put those things together and identify what would feel good from this place. What would be a balance of achievement and success and well-being and peacefulness? That is doing something from a soul-centered place. That is doing something that really is the reclaiming of pleasure. That is doing something that ultimately fosters joy, happiness, and fulfillment. To be soul-centered is to say, I need to go home because my energy tank is low. I don't have enough energy dollar bills today to go out and hang out with you or hold space for you or to get a drink. I don't have the ability to serve. I don't have the wherewithal to understand this. And so I must go and take care of myself. And for some people like myself, maybe that's retreats, maybe that's service, or maybe that's doing nothing. Maybe that's taking a break from social media. Maybe that's ending a relationship. Maybe that's being altruistic. Maybe that's being entrepreneurial in any way that it relates to you. When you do it from a soul-centered place, you're doing it because it makes you feel good. And it ultimately serves the collective, the highest good of all. And when people think, well, what the heck is the highest good of all? It's literally the feeling of feeling good. It is pleasure. The highest good of all is inflicting a sense of self into the world without harming others. I exist, but not to overtake you. I exist, but not to overcome you. I exist, but not to oppress you. I exist in relation to you as a mirror to you, in service of you. But I must do those things for myself as well in order to provide that for you. That is being soul-centered. So when you are self-aware, sense-driven, and soul-centered, it makes doing things with awareness, acceptance, and aligned action a whole lot fucking easier, which essentially is what we're all after. Ease, and pleasure. Whoo! You get me talking about something I believe in. And honey, it's like I dissociate. So I'm hoping that that made sense. I'm hoping that <laughs> that mm, was a digestible and approachable way to understanding my entire philosophy on being alive. Do I use the word shedonism all the time anymore? In my personal life, not so much because it's become synonymous with permission. And it's become synonymous with sort of just my aliveness. I think that as I've evolved with Shedonism, in the Shedonism philosophy and way, it has permeated outside of myself. It's become me. And it's funny, I actually will have people say to me now, oh, that's so, that's such a, that's the Shedonist, right? Oh, that's Shedonism. And I light up. I light up when somebody will say to me, that's Shedonism. Because it means that the ripple effect has taken place. It means that Shedonism has become a part of the collective. It has imprinted and impacted on the consciousness of the people around me so that they can then identify and notice, oh, this is different or other than my perceived or conditioned version of pleasure, decompression, relaxation, and feeling good. This is Shedonism. It's simple. It's in front of me. It's obtainable. It then becomes theirs. They become a Shedonist in their own right. And they get to use the philosophy in whatever way 
make sense to them. The cinematic universe of Julia Henning is the Shedonistic formula. It is the permission portal. It is Shedonism. Everybody's just their own Shedonist and everyone has different superpowers, but we're all fighting for pleasure. And how fun and cool is that? And you know what? I think that is the grocket. We all have our own flavors of pleasure, but essentially we are all seeking and looking and fighting for the same thing. So in whatever way you have to arrive there, if permission is the bridge, pleasure is the destination. And I find that even though Shedonism isn't the name, the label, the mask, the role, the handle that's being used to describe what I'm doing with my life, it's infused and embedded in every single thing I do. So it felt important to talk about it this season because I wanted to just go deeper into what it means to me, how it shows up in my life. And I wanted to lift the veil on the fact that there was a lot of shame and a lot of pain around the fact that Shedonism didn't come with me in the evolved version of my life. It didn't present itself the way that I had expected it or thought it to. When I birthed Shedonism as the philosophy of my life, it wasn't the brand. It wasn't the forefront of my life. It wasn't the leading character. And I think in sharing that with you, I'm granted some permission that Shedonism is still well and alive today. She is still burning bright. That fire, that rose bud core fire flame, which was the logo of Shedonism, because it's the divine reclamation of pleasure. So there's got to be some feminine in there. Put a rose and a flame above it, my honey. That's, that's a powerful symbol. But I think that there was some reclaiming in it for me to be able to talk to you guys about it and to say that it felt at times like one of those projects that you put your heart and soul into only to see that it didn't really go anywhere and to see that it's just another kind of notch on your belt of somewhat achievement, slight success. And when I look at it that way, it just makes me sad because Shedonism wasn't necessarily an achievement. It was a way of being. And when I allowed that to gracefully encode and embed itself into my life, other things were born, like the Permission Portal podcast. So I'm grateful because this is a permission slip and a reminder that things that you create and the things that you nurture and cultivate might become something else, but it doesn't mean that they're not important. And Shedonism is going to make a comeback. It's going to be more relevant and more present in the work that I do, the retreats that I offer, and the branding that I'm choosing to put out, the messages that are aligned with my core expression. So whew, that was kind of an all over the place to you, Grocket. Basically, pleasure is worth fighting for. Pleasure is worth pursuing. And pleasure can mean a plethora of things. So Get self-aware to find out what pleasure means to you. Get sense-driven so you can get more of it in your life. And be soul-centered so that you're doing it in a truly divine, altruistic, collective, and fulfilling way. And that, my dear, whew, do you grok that? If you made it to the end of this episode, it means you're committed to giving yourself permission. Doesn't it feel good? 
If you want another permission slip, tune in every Thursday for new episodes. And head to my website to get your name on our mailing list so you don't miss special offers, podcast bonuses, and coaching opportunities. Your involvement in the portal means a lot to me. So I invite you to leave an honest rating and review and click the follow or subscribe button if you haven't yet. The ripple effects have the power to bring permission to those who truly need it. And you can follow me on social media at I am Julia Henning or the Permission Portal. If you want to step into the portal with me, look out for opportunities to get coached on air through social media and on my website. Until then, guys, I am beaming you so much gratitude for tuning in, and I cannot wait to vibe out again soon. Oh, and on a scale of 1 to 10, where's your mood right now? <laughs>